And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it's Thursday. It's the second best day of the week. Also means that Michael Lee Woods is joining me today. Uh, talk a little bit about employment, recessions, the Fed, of course. Uh, we've got another meeting coming up here next month. What do the recent CPI, PPI reports, you know, kind of lay out for the Fed? More rate hikes, no rate hikes. You know, are we done? That'll be the conversation we'll have today. Of course, uh, yesterday, Markets kind of just uh, held their own a bit. And again, we've had a very, very big run. We're going to talk about that in a minute, um, what that actually means. And, and as we get ready to kind of set up for the end of the year. Uh, but yesterday after the bell, Cisco reported earnings. Palo Alto Networks also reported earnings on the tech side. And this really kind of goes home to the point about this year in particular. So Cisco and Palo Alto Networks both missing estimates. Uh, by a good margin. Both those stocks will be down very sharply today. Cisco will be down uh, more than 10% this morning. Palo Alto Networks, same. Um, but, you know, this has been a year where seven stocks have pretty much, and we've talked about this before, have made up the bulk of the returns. Well, how much of the returns have those seven stocks made up this year? Well, according to recent data from Goldman Sachs this morning, 112%. So if you take a look at the return of the market, as, as, a, as a whole, so you take a look at the S&P index, we've had this really great rally so far this year. Markets are up to like 15% for the year. 112% of that return has come from seven stocks. In other words, the rest of the market has not really contributed much to those returns at all. And this has really been this bifurcation of how the market has worked this year. And, and again, this is uh, as we look forward into 2024. Analysts are expecting a very big uptick in earnings growth as well as sales growth next year. And how is that going to be generated? Well, believe it or not, from seven stocks. Entirely the next year, if you take a look at the seven, the, the earnings growth and sales growth for those top seven stocks, they're expected to be up 11% next year. The rest of the market will have flat to negative earnings growth next year. So the entirety of earnings growth and sales growth next year will come from just seven stocks in the market. So again, that makes it very difficult. And this has been this real problem we've had all year. You know, we went through this yesterday a bit. You know, we talk about the equal weighted index as an example. Uh, you take a look at the kind of the year to date performance. Absolutely nothing going on pretty much in that index as a whole, considering that it is about flat to where we actually started the year. So again, hasn't really done a whole lot. Small cap, mid cap as an example. Take a look at the Russell 2000 as an example of the small cap, mid cap space. Talked about that as well. Basically has flat for the year. So again, after, you know, when you take a look at the performance of these other markets, the rest of Wall Street as an example, not a lot has gone on this year at all considering that you have this very sharp advance in the S&P 500 that has really led the way. And again, you know, we, we take a look at the NASDAQ uh, index as an example. That's even a bigger example of this. You look at the year-to-date return of the NASDAQ relative to the rest of the markets. You know, it's been very clear that, you know, it's been a very challenging year for markets as a whole 
outside of just seven stocks. So again, you know, this is this has been the challenge. It's a challenge for investment managers, portfolio managers, fund managers, individual investors, retail investors, because again, it's been just a very narrow market in terms of what's performing overall this year. And, and again, as we go into next year, if we get into this cycle where, again, you have seven stocks generating the bulk of the returns, could we have another year of such a bifurcation? And that's going to be a very, another very challenging year, potentially for markets as we go forward. So again, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen next year. It's always a, you know, kind of a, a, a guess as to what's going to happen. But again, you know, if you take a look at where earnings growth and sales growth are expected to come from, that really kind of pertains to how the rest of the year may work out. So again, we'll, we'll, we'll navigate this as we go, of course. But again, it's been very challenging, particularly challenging when you start talking about value versus growth. That's been a really tough year, tough year there as well. All right, let's talk a little bit about what you need to know before the bell this morning. So again, um, right now markets are continuing to kind of work through earnings season this morning. Walmart uh, reporting earnings missed kind of their guidance and their estimates for the year. Um, stocks gonna be trading down about two, two and a half percent this morning. It's up about 13 and a half percent so far. Um, you know, so this has been a, a good year for Walmart versus Target. Now, Target had a great day yesterday because that stock had been really, really beaten down. They missed earnings estimates, but it just wasn't as bad as everybody thought it was going to be. So, you know, they got they got a boost from even though they have weaker sales and declining sales, uh, it wasn't as bad as everybody expected. So the stock was up about 20% yesterday. So a big, big move for Target yesterday after getting completely kind of pummeled. Walmart has had a really great return this year. Overall, has been kind of climbing higher. But again, they're going to get hit this morning a little bit on weaker guidance uh, going forward out for the rest of the year. But you know, translating this back to the markets, again, uh, as we've talked about, we've had a very, very sharp advance here over the course of just the last few days in particular. So just since the beginning of the month, you know, right here at the end of the month, this was where everybody thought the market was going to do nothing but go lower. And we were talking about very negative sentiment. Everybody was bearish. And, and again, you know, this is, this is when you've got to be careful with markets. Uh, since then, we've had a very, very strong advance. But now we're getting back to this pretty overbought level. Um, and, and again, you know, normally when we get to such kind of overbought extremes, you want to be a little bit careful here because the market's going to probably give you at least a little bit of a consolidation or a pullback. Um, the MACD buy signal that kicked in, and we, this is an, an area that we had talked about a while, you know, the MACD buy sell signal had gotten very deeply oversold. It's not overbought yet. There's still more room for it to go to the upside here, but it is starting to move up into positive territory. So again, we're getting pretty long in, in, the, in the tooth of this advance. So as we've talked about before, you know, expect a little bit of consolidation or a bit of a pullback here to work off some of this more overbought condition. And that's going to give you a better opportunity to put some capital work. So just be careful chasing stocks right here today. Uh, there may be some opportunities in stocks that are individual stocks that may be a little bit oversold or are turning up on a buy signal, uh, whatever you know, the case may be. But as the overall market goes, we're getting pretty extended. And this is really going to start to, to impact those top seven stocks that are leading the way. Likely going to see them take a little bit of a breather here just as we kind of work into the end of the year. Now, again, a bit of a pullback here to support uh, of any levels. You know, we've got the 100-day uh, right here at 4,390 uh, 4, on the S&P 500. You got below that the 50-day at uh, 4,320 on the S&P. So anywhere this market can give you a little bit of a pullback here uh, to support, work off some of this overbought condition 
much better entry point to put some capital in for that year-end kind of Santa Claus rally uh, as we get there. And again, the best opportunity most likely for that pullback is going to be post-Thanksgiving, uh, first couple of weeks of December as we get those kind of normal cycles for mutual fund distributions. Uh, every year they have to distribute all their capital gains, dividends, and interest. And this is, uh, there's about 20, 25% of mutual funds that have to do that in the first couple of weeks of December. So that generally gives you a little bit of selling pressure uh, on the markets. And that was something that all, it was also kind of, there's about 20, 20% or so of mutual funds that have their year end uh, in September, October. And that's what, one thing that was contributing to that weakness that we saw back in September, October. Again, we'll, now, we'll probably not get that type of weakness again, but a, a decent little downtick here uh, in the market in the first couple of weeks of December won't be surprising at all. And that sets you up for that end of the year rally. And then the first five days of January, you get a lot of money getting put to work just as portfolio managers are getting ready and set up for the new year. So, you know, kind of look for the opportunity. Again, just kind of pick your, pick your point, you know, pick your stocks you want to own and then wait for a little bit of a pullback to give yourself a little bit better entry point. But that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, got a lot of stuff to get into with Michael Leibowitz this morning. So stick around. More of the Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, Thursday. Michael Lee Witch joining me this morning, talking a little bit about you know, everything interest rate, inflation related. And of course, we've had a good bit of news on that lately. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, this is, has really kind of changed the dynamic of a lot of views and, and, and has been the big driver of the market rally here over the last, you know, couple of weeks in particular. And so again, kind of going back to the end of, of October, you know, markets are you know, declining sharply, interest rates are going up, we're approaching 5% on the 10-year Treasury. Um, expectations are the Fed's going to, you know, have to keep rates higher for longer and, and, and you know, inflation is here and we're getting all these articles, you know, and, and YouTube videos, et cetera, about the debts and the deficits and, and, you know, we're spending too much money. That's why interest rates are going up because nobody wants to buy our debt. And those were the narratives. Two weeks later, the world's changed. Inflation came in, you know, weaker than expected on the CPI report. PPI out yesterday, the producer price index, that was in much weaker than expected as well. Retail sales are slowing down a bit. And all of a sudden, yields are falling, and it's now a, the Fed is now done hiking rates scenario. <laughs> so, you know, that's how fat, and that's why you've always got to be careful. And, and again, you know, uh, we've harped a lot over the last two months about narratives. You've got to be careful of these narratives that people come up with, because as you've seen, they can change very quickly. And that can really you know, get you messed up, and, and, and particularly if you're betting heavily on these narratives on one direction or the other, can really get you on the wrong side of the trade very quickly. But, Mike, it's an interesting kind of, you know, situation we've got right now because it's, it's really, a, you know, a, a double-edged sword for the Federal Reserve. So, yes, on one side, CPI is coming down, and, and you know, we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, inflation rates at 3.3% on the headline. If we take out health care and rent, 
which are contractually fixed for most people, inflation's 2.6%. So, you know, on the stuff that they spend every day. So, you know, clearly approaching that 2% target that the Fed wants. The problem with that, though, is that markets are rallying. Yields are dropping sharply here. And, and you know, we were below 4.5% on the 10-year Treasury just uh, day before yesterday. And, you know, that's easing financial conditions. Lower, you're already seeing mortgage applications tick up as, as, as 30-year mortgage rates come down. People are jumping out there to get their mortgage. Um, you're starting, you know, that and, and lower interest rates obviously help help the consumer spending side. And that potentially, you know, if you increase consumer confidence by higher rates and, and lower interest rates, I'm sorry, uh, higher asset prices and lower interest rates, people feel good about going out and spending a little bit of money. And then the Fed's right back in the box again. <laughs> so they've right. got a real challenge ahead of themselves. Yeah. And um, so yesterday there were 20 Fed speakers. Think about that. 20 Individual Fed speakers were out there opining on the economy, on monetary policy, bank regulations, whatever they were talking about. But interestingly, and I didn't I didn't be honest, I didn't see them all. But from all the headlines I did see, not one of them mentioned what you just said. Now, if you recall, three, four weeks ago, mm -hmm. just about every single speaker mentioned that higher rates, lower stock prices were starting to weigh, really weigh on the economy. And we've seen a reversal of that. Not a, not a big reversal. Right. Rates are still very high, um, but a reversal. And right now, there doesn't seem to be concern. So this gets back to something I think we talked about a week or two ago. Is there something that Powell knows? You know, is there something that, that billionaire investor Stanley Drunkenmiller knows that Bill Ackman knows when with Gunlock, you know, they talk about this uh, weakness in the economy, mm -hmm. at least the investors, not Powell, that there's this underlying weakness that's grossly underappreciated. Might Powell appreciate that and the Fed appreciate it, just not be able to say anything. So in a way, they may like rates coming down a little bit because it'll soften the blow. It'll make a soft landing you know, a little bit uh, more of a possibility if the economy is really slowing down more than we appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, like we said, then we don't see it, uh, the, or at least in the economic data mm -hmm. forward leading indicators, there's certainly weakness uh, or a weakening of the growth trends. But the question we need to ask, and I, my article from this uh, from yesterday is on employment. Because employment, in my opinion, holds the key to a recession or not. We're not going to have a recession if the labor market stays as strong as it is or as it mm -hmm. has been. So when employment turns is when we're going to have a recession. And you can go back and look at the unemployment rate. And within months, one, two, three months, or sometimes even a month after a recession, unemployment rate ticks up sharply. And, you know, I went through in the article a bunch of kind of leading indicators of unemployment. They're all showing changes in the trends. But but the big question is, are we heading for a recession or is it just a normalization getting back to, to levels that are more in line with our longer term economic growth activity? So, you know, kind of back to the the big uh 
the big policy question, what's the Fed going to do? Are they scared about rates coming back down? And the answer is the economy is slowing, but we're not quite at the point where they they should be overly concerned about the economy and give up their guard on inflation. So I think, you know, they're probably going to try to steer interest rates and the stock market to just not go anywhere mm-hmm. for for the time being. And that may serve them well. You know, and but you know, this is and this is the big question. I mean, there was a Wall Street Journal out article out yesterday talking about the elusive soft landing is coming into view. And, you know, this has been one of the interesting kind of, you know, dichotomies this year, I guess, or, or challenges, I actually should say, is that if you take a look at a lot of the leading indicators, the leading economic index, you take a look at, you know, the, um, you know, different measures of economic activity, there's, there's uh, in the inverted yield curve as an example. Um, the only time historically that we've had a quote unquote soft landing in the economy was in 1995, the Fed was hiking rates and we didn't have a recession, but the yield curves were not inverted in 1995. The economy was doing just fine. Um, Every other time that there's been an inverted yield curve and the Fed was hiking rates, we had a recession. And it is it is interesting that there is such a large call right now for, you know, this kind of this kind of economic nirvana where you have inflation returning back to two percent and no recession. Now, it's certainly possible. We should we should never, you know, put it out there that it's not possible. And again, you take a look at the Atlanta Fed at the moment, their their current um economic expectations for quarter four are now just slightly above 2% growth. So clearly no recession, um, you know, you know, at least at the headline data. But, you know, the one thing that always tends to get us is these, you know, negative revisions later on. The National Bureau of Economic Research comes out and says, oh, yeah, the recession started a year ago. And we find out after the revisions that, well, it wasn't 2% growth. It was actually negative growth. Um, we won't know that until we get there. But it is interesting that there's such a large call by economists for this soft recession, you know, or, or I should say no recession, soft landing versus last year where Wall Street economists were all saying that there was going to be a recession. So, you know, it, it's it's very difficult to figure out what's going to happen just based, you know, on, on the current economic data. But, you know, this is why it's confusing for most investors. But but isn't that if you're a Wall Street forecaster, isn't that the easy way to go? Oh, yeah, because you're kind of right in both scenarios. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of their goal to be to be more or less right. So if you go into a recession, they say, yeah, we we thought there would be a slight recession. It was a little deeper than we thought if the economy is a soft landing and we don't go into recession, just the economy slows a little bit. It's what we call the Goldilocks scenario. And, you know, (laughs) so so I, I think they're kind of putting themselves in the right position to be, quote unquote, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it you know it, it's not gutsy. It it may or may not really that may or may not really be their true views, but you know and I think there's a lot of pressure on the banks who employ these analysts to say certain things and to support certain Fed views because they are you know kind of joined at the hip. So you know like like equity analysts economists are the same thing. You have to take everything they say with a grain of salt. I mean, how many, 
if you look at stocks, how many stocks have a sell rating? It's, right. They're None. what, three? <laughs> I mean, there aren't any, right? They're, they're well, yeah, if you, if, you, if you rate a company's stock of the sell rating, they, won't, they don't want to do investment banking business with you, which is where all your money comes from. So, yeah, you always keep right. them ready to buy. Right. If the Goldman Sachs said we're heading for a very deep recession and, and I fear that we're going to be in a depression, how many how many of their clients are going to do business with them? Exactly. None. Yeah. None. They're going to go to Morgan Stanley, who has this bright, cheery outlook. <laughs> but you know, and, and, and it's funny, you know, we we joke about it, but most people really don't understand, you know, that that's how Wall Street works. Is that you know, if you take a look, and we've done reports on this uh, previously, I probably should update one and and put it out. But you know, if you take a look at the, you know, how, you know, where, you know investor and investment analysts you know get their compensation from and get their reviews from it is all about their institutional clients making sure those are happy retail investors are at the very bottom of the list right, right. there's 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 they don't care about retail investors they don't care if you make money or not even though you've got your money invested with them they don't care about you they only care about their institutional clients so uh, again, that's why you have, you know, the vast majority of ratings on companies are always a buy. And, and it's always interesting, right? I remember back in 2000, Lucent Technologies, as an example, was rated a buy all the way down to like $3 a share before it went bankrupt. So, you know, it's, right. you, know you got re to really be careful with those buy ratings because they really don't mean much of anything. All right, quick break. Come back. Got a lot of stuff, uh, more stuff to get into with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Excuse me. Well, welcome back. So this morning I choked myself up. Uh, Michael Lee was joining me as well. So I want to, uh, Mike, I want to step back a second to talking a little bit about, you know, we've had this very strong rally in the market. And we've had this drop in interest rates. And as I was saying earlier, you know, that that eases financial conditions uh, for the, for consumers. Right. And so the whole point and, and we've talked about this so many times in the past, I feel like I don't have to reiterate it, but I'm going to anyway. Um, just in case you haven't watched the show before. And if you're new to the show, we appreciate you. Uh, please uh, subscribe to the uh, the show and click that little bell icon there. We appreciate it. Um, but the reason the Fed hikes rates is to tighten financial conditions so that consumers will stop spending money. Um, and I'm, I'm making this very simplistic. And that slows down demand in the economy. That brings down inflation and also slows economic growth. So, you know, that's why the Fed hikes rates. When the markets rally sharply and you have a drop in yields, um, that loosens those financial conditions because, A, my 401k plan balance went up, so I feel better about myself, so I can go spend a little extra money because I have more money in my investment account. Um, yields are falling, so you know things are getting a little bit cheaper in terms of financing, credit card debts, those type of things. 
So I kind of feel better um, in that environment to go spend a little bit more money. But that works against what the Fed's trying to do because now consumers go out to spend money. That creates demand. That creates inflation. So it's this really interesting situation the Fed's got themselves into by – you know, talking about higher for longer and this whole, you know, even Powell just recently said, hey, you know, we don't have really inflation back to our target yet. So we're still very aware of that. And yet markets are kind of front running them now, expecting them to cut rates. So, I mean, if the Fed's done hiking rates, and according to Nick Timrose, uh, the Fed's last rate hike was in June. And so now the next step for the Fed will be to cut rates. And the markets are now betting the Fed's going to start cutting rates in March of this year, um, you know, at the earliest. So, you know, unless the economy's in a recession, why would the Fed cut rates, which would, you know, potentially re-spark inflation? It's 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 a very interesting situation between this this debate between the markets and the Federal Reserve. What do you think? It's kind of a guess, right? I mean, for the Fed to cut rates, inflation, I think, has to be at two percent or below, and clearly trending lower at that point. And the economy has to be clearly showing signs of a recession. Yeah, so, let me stop you there real quick because I think that's an important point. You know, if you know the Fed's not going to cut, if if inflation's at two, covering at two percent or maybe slightly below two percent, just kind of holding on, I don't think the Fed's going to cut rates. And to your point, the reason the Fed's going to cut rates is if you cut through two percent, inflation is showing real signs of of potentially becoming deflation or negative inflation. That's the one thing the Fed doesn't want, and that's why the Fed would cut rates, would try to stem that by getting activity started back in the economy, right? So they've got to be looking at at a more dire situation with inflation and the economy in a recession and saying, okay, I better better ease up this, this tension so I can get consumers back out there in the economy and get them to start buying stuff. And uh, Lance, let me back up, too. I think it's important to define what we mean by the market thinks they're going to start cutting in March. So Fed funds are what the Fed controls. And Fed funds are just loans between banks on an overnight basis. And that's sort of the basis for banking, that banks are very active in those overnight markets where they borrow basically overnight. Some lend, some borrow. And that rate kind of is the rate the Fed manages. The Fed doesn't say Fed funds are at 5% and they trade at 5%. The banks interact among themselves and and it trades where the supply and demand warrant it. But to help keep it at 5%, the Fed is always putting money in, taking money out of the overnight markets to try to target it at 5%. So that's the targeted rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how that's how Basically, the Fed does their job. Everything else the Fed does is via words trying to move the rest of the yield curve. So overnight rates don't affect me or you. What affects us are, are you know, five-year car loans, seven-year car loans, mortgage rates, credit card rates, which are you know monthly rates. Uh, corporations too don't are not active at all in the overnight markets. So they use the Fed funds market to try to to try to persuade the rest of the yield curve and try to try to limit or expand how much banks are willing to lend or bar, you know bar lend on any um, given period. Uh, so it's important to think about that. So you have Fed funds and then 
the uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange has Fed fund futures. So those are just futures. It's a bet on where Fed funds will be in the future. And they have a contract for every month going out, I think, two years. Mm -hmm. The most active ones are about six to nine months from the current date. So right now you can go out and say, well, what's the February Fed funds future at? And depending on where that's at versus where Fed funds are now, that tells you where traders are leaning as far as what the Fed may or may not do. Uh, and you can then assign odds to it. So Fed funds today are five and a quarter. And let's just say the March contract is 5%. Well, you can say 100%, the, the market is betting the Fed will cut rates by 25%, 25 basis points by March. Um, but that's just a bet. And those numbers move around a lot. You know, if we would have had a very high CPI number, what was an easing could have easily gone to the Fed's going to hike more. Right. So it, it's important to follow them because understanding what the market thinks is incredibly important. But we also have to realize they can swing pretty rapidly. They're volatile mm -hmm. um, and they're just the the aggregate expectations of the market. Yeah. So and, and, and that's right. And, you know, I, and I think the thing that, you know, in, as an investor, the thing you've got to be aware of is let's assume that just for a moment, Mike, that the you know, we get through this year. We're now into January of ne January, February, March of next year. Markets are up, uh, you know, five, six percent uh, you know, in the beginning of the new year. We're having another kind of start to the year like we had this year. Yields are, are close to, you know, say four percent ish on yields. Um, you know, and the economy is doing great you know, why would the Fed cut rates in March, right? Just right. assuming that that's what, I mean, I, you know, I think what's important is, is that, you know, for, for the markets that are betting on the Fed to cut rates, if everything is fine, right? If everything's doing okay, if the markets are doing fine, yields are doing fine, the economy's, you know, growing at two or 3%, um, there's no financial stress in the banks whatsoever, the credit markets are functioning. Uh, right now, there's no, you know, you take a look at credit markets, there's no sign of, a, you know, any type of financial stress in the credit markets. If everything's fine, the Fed just goes, I'll leave rates at 5% because apparently it's all good, right? I mean, there's, right. there's no reason to cut rates lower until there's some event that happens. And so if we don't have, if we're expecting a soft landing or, or and no recession scenario next year, there's no reason to cut rates. The Fed's going to hold those so, rates where they are and then cut them when there is a recession. Certainly not in March. Yeah. So, so this is a great conversation because... Earlier, we were talking about how the economists who buy and sell, who sell stocks for a living are talking about a Goldilocks scenario, yet the market is pricing in Fed cuts starting as early as March. Mm -hmm. And I think they're priced for, what, 1% of Fed cuts throughout the year? Right. So the market, which is people putting money to work, is telling you that they think there's going to be a, a light recession. Mm -hmm. Because if the Fed only cuts one percent, that's not that's slow economic. You know, that's that's a, a not a bad recession. The Fed typically goes all the way back down to zero, uh, which would be a five percent plus rate cut. Uh, so the market's telling you there's going to be a slight recession next year. And Wall Street's telling you, ah, it's going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Soft landing, Goldilocks, the whole nine yards. So that's where looking at those 
at what the market's telling you versus what you're hearing from the media and Wall Street are very important to see when they diverge and how much they are diverging by. Yeah, and and, and you know this is this is an interesting point because you know say well Lance you know and we'll, I want to I want to bring this up after the break. Um, in 2019, the Fed cut rates back to zero and there was no recession and everything was just fine. Um, you know, so why was the Fed cutting rates to zero then? And, and, and it's a great point. So when we come back from the break, we're, we're going to revisit 2018, 2019 and talk about what was going on. Because Fed, Mike, Mike brought this up earlier. What does the Fed know that we don't know? And maybe that's something we need to delve into a bit more because that's something that could be the case as we head into next year, particularly with the way the Fed is starting to, to, to change their tone a bit here. And coming up at this December meeting, Nick Timrose is talking about a reworking of the Fed statement to start implying that the Fed is now done cutting rates. So we'll talk, when we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz. We'll talk about all that. Uh, Mike's latest article out on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get his latest article. And if you're watching the video, be sure and subscribe to, the, the, to our show and click that little bell icon. We appreciate it. We'll be right back after the break with more of Michael Leibowitz on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And hey, welcome back to the show this morning. So Talking a little bit about the Fed, you know, cutting rates, and and normally when they're cutting rates, there's a problem in the economy. Either you know you're looking at a recession or some type of financial event, etc. But we have to go back and revisit 2018, 2019 as an example because the Fed cut rates to zero in July of 20 June, July of 2019, very rapidly, and there was no recession. Um, you know, so you know, clearly evidence that the Fed can cut rates out of the blue without any type of recessionary impact. And, you know, as, as Mike said earlier, you know, the Fed is, is, you know, has data that, you know, they're, they're driving monetary policy with. And, you know, one of the, the issues is what do they know, right? Because they're so interlinked to the banks. What do they know that we don't know? That type of situation. So let's go back and revisit 2018 uh, really quick. So September uh, June, July, August, September of 2018, the Fed's hiking rates. And in September of 2018, Jerome Powell comes out. It's a Fed. It's a September Fed meeting, and he makes a comment. He says, "We're nowhere near the neutral rate." 
and the market just freaks out and we start declining and we fall 20% in the markets between that September meeting and the end of December of 2018, the markets are down 20% because the market's now pricing in the Fed to continue hiking rates to this kind of unknown level of, you know, whatever the neutral rate was. Of course, at that time, President Trump's in office. He's starting to weigh in heavily on the situation. The markets are coming down. Um, you know, he's like, I don't understand why the Fed's not, you know, is, is not responding to this. And, uh, and there were ta- there were there were basically calls for, for President Trump to fire Jerome Powell, you know, the whole nine yards. And, you know, the, the call at that time was, is, well, Jerome Powell's a different animal. He's a different animal than than than, than normal Fed, you know, the previous Fed chairman like Yellen and Bernanke that were more kind of the puppets of of the administration. He's his own man. Well, then in 2018, at the end of 2018, he completely reversed course. All of a sudden, we we're at the neutral rate in, in early December at the Fed meeting. He says, oh, yeah, we're, we're a lot closer to the neutral rate than we thought we were a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and by the course of June, July next year, rates are now back to zero. But again, no sign of a recession. So why was the Fed cutting rates? Well, we didn't know it at the time, but there was a problem brewing. And in September of 2019, the Fed has now launched this massive reverse repo market. Uh, Mike and I were on the show in September of 2019 explaining this whole reverse repo thing. Mike was using an example of, you know, this is overnight collateral where people are putting up treasury bills, government guaranteed bonds. It's like parking a Mercedes, a brand new Mercedes in your driveway saying, hey, can I borrow $10,000? Here's the key to my Mercedes is collateral. If I don't pay you back, you get to keep the, <laughs> you get to keep the Mercedes for 10 grand. And that's what was going on. There was these, ab, uh, these the completely abnormal rates being charged for overnight loans. Couldn't figure out why it was going on. We find out later that there was a lot of stress in the hedge fund market. A lot of these, a lot of these big hedge funds like Citadel were were running into problems, but we didn't know it then. And then, of course, we were talking about September of 2019. Hey, there's all these recessionary indicators coming. We've got all these recessionary indicators. No sign of a recession. March of 2020, we have a recession. So the question becomes, again, the Fed cut rates at a point in time where we didn't think there was a problem, Mike, but there was a problem brewing below the surface. It just hadn't manifested itself yet. And, you know, this is one of the things I think we have to be keen on and that, you know, we may get into a position next year where the Fed does cut rates. We don't see any type of economic data that suggests that, there's a recession or a real risk, but there may be a problem brewing under the surface from this lag effect of these previous rate hikes, which is kind of what we saw in 2018, 2019. Your thoughts? Right. It's very interesting comparing what happened 2016 to 2019 versus what's happening now. So, so Janet Yellen actually started raising rates in early 2016 and they ended raising rates. They brought them from zero to, I think, two and a half by late 2018. And then they paused. So rates were being raised for three full years. And then six months later, you have a big problem. And, And signs that a recession was coming, certainly slowing economic growth. So again, the lag effect takes a long time for interest rates to affect the economy. But when you have an economy driven so heavily impacted by interest rates, it's bound to happen. 
you know, so the, the Fed started lowering rates. They created this repo program to save the hedge funds and ultimately to save the banks, not the hedge funds. Um, and then, you know, the problem with that that period is, yes, we had a recession in March, but it was how much of it was pandemic and, and would there have been a recession if we never had the pandemic? So it's kind of the unknown on how that would have played out. But that that what happened back then seems more of a Goldilocks type scenario than what we have today. The Fed started cutting rates before the economy was slowing. They may have been able to cut it enough to to slow the you know to to make sure the economy didn't go into a recession, uh, but we'll never know. So this time rates double what more than double what what they did last time. Last time they they went up two and a half percent in three years. This time they've gone up over 5% in half the period. So you're like, well, if we have an economy driven by credit, why don't why doesn't the cost of credit or interest rates matter? And they matter significantly, but you had such incredible stimulus in the system just masking over, you know, making it irrelevant for the short term. But you're starting to get stresses in the system, right? We saw the the March banking crisis, and I think it was Mester yesterday who made a comment that says that basically said the banks are not out of the woods at all, and they're they're one potential event from being back in trouble. So there are clearly stresses in the system, and an economy that has a long run growth potential, kind of in the two you know two percent or even less range that's so heavily dependent on credit can't afford 5% interest rates. It, it just doesn't work. So, you know, we're going to see now we don't, there's no pandemic and massive stimulus to kind of hide what would have happened. So, uh, you know, I think what the Fed is grossly aware of is that we're at interest rates that it can, that will, and I'm not going to say can, will induce financial stress into the system. So, when they see stress, they're going to have to take actions. And, I, you know, the fact that they haven't lowered rates means that they don't see enough stress to warrant uh, their taking action. And they're trying at the same time to remain firm on fighting inflation. But, you know, if the Fed sees something, they're going to cut rates and we're going to be stunned because we don't know why, just like we saw in 2019. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at those two, the two most recent Fed rate hikes are very instructive as to what we might expect uh, going forward. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I think the, uh, you know, the thing that we can watch as, you know, as individuals and as, and as investment managers, et cetera, you know, we can watch, you know, liquidity indexes. We can watch, you know, you know, kind of how things are functioning in the underlying, you know, financial markets. Keep a watch on credit spreads, those type of things, because those will be really good early, early warning signs that you know something is starting to break somewhere. Um, and particularly if we start to see the Fed cut rates for any reason, those we should see some relative indicators in some of those areas that are suggesting is like, oh, yeah, this is why they're cutting rates. And this is probably going to lead to a bigger problem if this doesn't resolve itself fairly, fairly quickly. Um, credit markets are pretty good about forecasting these situations. And again, I, I kind of find it interesting that you know, as, as fast as rates have risen, you know, with the Fed, that we haven't seen more. There, there seems to be no real worry in the credit markets, even in some of the more, you know, lower tier uh, rated, you know, kind of bond indexes. 
And that may be why the Fed feels comfortable with this higher for longer and we don't have to do anything at this time, that, that there really are no stresses. But just because there are no stresses doesn't mean there won't be no stresses, right? Yeah. There were stresses in March. Um, and there certainly will be if rates stay where they're at. It's a question of when. And kind of going back to what we were talking about with Fed funds, if they're pricing in a 50% chance of a, a 25 basis point rate cut in March, they're telling you that they think by March they're, you know, we need to hedge ourselves a little bit that something doesn't break. Um it's not a big bet. And again, it's only a 25 basis point rate cut and a 50% chance of that. But, you know, I think there's a lot of investors that are saying, you know what, the, the environment is ripe for a storm, whether that storm happens in March or July or next December, we don't know. But we should probably put a put a couple chips down on the you know, into that hedging category and bet that the Fed will be lowering rates by then. And it's probably a lot of those bets are not because they think inflation will be below 2% and Goldilocks. They're because of, you know, probably something breaking. Yep. As you go later into the year, that's when you start getting into more of the economic-based uh, rate cuts. Yeah. Um so, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see. And again, you know, we're, we'll have a lot to talk about the next Fed meetings, uh, you know, just coming up in December. So it's not, not that far away. And again, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see if the Fed uh, and Jerome Powell in particular changes his statement much from what we've seen before about inflation being their primary concern or if it's now becoming something more relevant. I think if they ditch that inflation statement that they're probably more concerned about the economy than than we actually think. So it'll be a very interesting. We'll have a lot to talk about when we get there. Uh Michael Lee Woods, uh, be sure and get by his website, uh, by our website today, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get his latest blog post. It's out on employment. And of course, as always, send us your questions and comments, what we can do for you at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday with Danny Ratliff and Richard Russo. See you then. Mm -hmm.